1: Scripture reading from John chapter 15, starting with verse 26, continuing into 16, verse 16. Jesus said to the disciples, when the companion comes, the companion's another name for the Holy Spirit, when the companion comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will testify, too, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you so that you won't fall away. They will expel you from the synagogue. The time is coming when those who kill you will think that they are doing a service to God. They will do these things because they don't know the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I told you about them. I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to the one who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Yet because I have said these things to you, you are filled with sorrow. I assure you that it is better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will show the world it was wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will show the world it was wrong about sin because they didn't believe in me. He will show the world it was wrong about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me anymore. He will show the world it was wrong about judgment because this world's ruler stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, but you can't handle it now. However, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He won't speak on his own, but will say whatever he hears and will proclaim to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and proclaim it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. That's why I said that the Spirit takes what is mine and will proclaim it to you. Soon you won't be able to see me. Soon after that, you will see me. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. I've been a a Christian, a follower of Jesus for 38 years. I was baptized and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior at a a church camp the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. I've been in professional ministry of one form or another for 31 years, since becoming the youth director here in 1990. I've earned multiple degrees and certificates in theology. I've read every verse of the Bible, every chapter, every book multiple times and studied them. I serve on the board of ordained ministry for the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church in the theology group. My job is to make sure that future pastors are theologically correct and not heretics. I've attended I don't know how many workshops and conferences and classes. I've listened to countless sermons and podcasts and lectures. I've read hundreds of books on theology. All that being said, (laughs) you might be surprised and a little disappointed to find out that there is still a lot that I don't comprehend about God, that on any number of topics you could ask me a question and I would have to be honest, I don't know. I have thoughts, I could tell you what I've read, but in many ways God is still a mystery to me. And did I mention how much I love that? That God is a mystery? I love that God is beyond my ability to comprehend. I love and need a God that is bigger than my puny understandings of who God could or should be or what God should do. Some of you have heard me say before, my favorite word is the word ineffable, especially as it relates to God. Ineffable means beyond understanding or comprehension, and clearly God is ineffable. God is a holy mystery. And by the way, I should just say, if you ever meet someone who claims to have all the answers about God, you should be afraid, be very afraid, run like heck. Either they have an overinflated sense of their own intellectual capacity, or they have an extremely diminished understanding of who God actually is be afraid. One of the concepts that I struggle with understanding, I mean I can explain it, but really wrapping my heart and mind around is the idea that God is a trinity. Today in the church is Trinity Sunday. We say that the Christian God is a trinity, a triune God, which means that somehow, some way, we believe we worship one God, not three gods, but our one God is three persons existing simultaneously. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's not one God taking off hats, right now I'll be God the Father, no, now I'll be God the Spirit. Somehow God is at the same time three gods and yet only one God. Everybody got that? Oh, don't nod like you understand. I don't understand it either. One of the most ancient documents on the Trinity is called the Athanasian Creed. We think it was written at least by the 6th century. And it has an extremely long section on what it means to understand God as Trinity. It says... We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being, for the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit, the Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite, eternal is the Father, eternal is the Son, eternal is the Spirit, and yet there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal, as there are not three uncreated and unlimited beings, but one who is uncre- uncreated, unlimited. And that's just the introduction. <laughs> Did you get it? And it goes on and on and on. You know, like sometimes we say the creed and church, like we, we could do the Athanasian creed sometime, but we wouldn't have anything else because it's just, we just do that for the worship service. It's so long. But finally, it concludes by saying, and in this Trinity, no one is before or after greater or less than the other, but all three persons are in themselves co-eternal and co-equal, so we must worship the Trinity in unity and the one God in three person, whoever wants to be saved, should think thus about The Trinity, so it's important. (laughs) If anybody wants to be saved, this is what we should think. It's a mystery we need to grapple with, right? Now here's what happens, I think, for a lot of us when we're confronted by mystery, or at least an idea that we don't fully understand or fully accept. Might be as big as the Trinity, or just might be some other doctrinal issue, or just something we don't seem to get. One, we might just I- reject the idea as wrong. I don't get how God can be one and three, three and one. That that foolish. I, I you know just give up on it. That's one option. Two, we might just give up and say I'm not. I I can't understand it. I don't even try. Or three, we might dive in and explore it. And while we may or may not ever fully comprehend it, we. We swim in it and try to understand as much as we possibly can. That's my advice to us on on whatever it is about God. You don't get it? Fine. Dive in and at least soak in it. See where it leads you. And so that's my invitation for us today. We may not have any clearer understanding of who God is as Trinity by the time this service is over, but at least we'll have swum in it a little bit and see if any of it sinks in. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, once said, Bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. And So on that hopeful note, let's dive in. Now, I I should probably just begin by acknowledging the the word Trinity does not appear in Scripture. That's not a, a biblical word. It's a word the church has adopted, adapted, used to describe what Scripture tells us about God. To say God is Trinity as it echoes Scripture is to say that we worship one God, that, that truly there is only one God. There is one God who is eternal, always has been, always will be, and has always has been Trinity and always will be Trinity. That this God is the God that created all things. That this is the God who is above all things and in all things. Acts 17, 28 says, in God we live and move and have our being. The great statement of faith, of the Jewish faith, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's called the Shema. And it's just a simple statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This image that we have one God that we worship. I mentioned creeds. The Nicene Creed says we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things, visible and invisible. And yet throughout the Bible, this one eternal God is portrayed oftentimes as more than one person, side by side. And it begins in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Before God begins creating, it says the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos, the waters, the primordial chaos. But then God the Father speaks and says, let there be light, Spirit and God the Creator, side by side. Genesis chapter 2, God reaches into the soil and forms Adam, but then breathes God's Holy Spirit into his nostrils and gives him life. Spirit and God the Father, the Creator. The prophets were the mouthpiece of God, but they said they were anointed by the Holy Spirit and often spoke of a coming Messiah. Jesus, of course, came as that Messiah, God's only begotten Son, who the Nicene Creed says was begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of the same essence as the Father, through Him all things were made. The Gospels tell us Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he received the Holy Spirit at his baptism, that he was raised from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he promised to send the disciples his Holy Spirit, a counselor, comforter, when he left. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus prays to the Father, while at the same time saying that he and the Father were one, In fact, it was this intimate knowledge of God the Father that outraged the religious leaders and led to his crucifixion. So this is the image we get in Scripture, even before we use the word Trinity, that God is somehow simultaneously, inseparably, three while remaining one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. St. Patrick, uh, the Irish saint, famously used the three-leaf clover as a, as a symbol, a metaphor of the Trinity. Uh, a, a single three-leaf clover is just one thing, but it exists as three separate leaves, petals of that one thing. You can tear them apart, but no longer are they one. He used that as a symbol. It's one thing in three parts, inseparable. It's an image of what the Trinity is. Now, so what, right? I mean, mean, what does it matter that we say God is the Trinity besides just being theologically correct? Well, I think for this to have any meaning at all, we need to step back beyond any individual passage of Scripture and and look at how God is portrayed throughout the Bible. There is an emerging, evolving uh, revelation of God through Scripture That the Trinity helps us, I think, to understand. Now, let me just say, what I'm about to share is a gross oversimplification of what the Bible says about God and the Trinity. To do this, I'm going to tiptoe really close to the line of heresy, maybe. And so I'm going to ask for a little theological leniency this morning. Don't call the bishop if you disagree with what I'm about to say. Just take it for what it is. Let's start in the Old Testament. Who is the God of the Old Testament? Now, I would say a lot of things, but the primary image you get of God in the Old Testament is a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and, and high above, somewhere out there in heaven, and, and, and essentially unapproachable, unknowable, and sometimes even feared. No one in the Old Testament is looking for an encounter with God. God is to be served and obeyed at a distance. Now, why is that? Because the Old Testament understood God is holy, and holy means set apart. And humans understood themselves as sinful. Just think about when anybody did have an encounter with God. Their first reaction was, what are you doing here? I'm a sinner. Why are you here? The, the closest thing that anyone would ever expect to have a, as, a, as a God encounter in the Old Testament was to, to bring your sacrifice to the temple, an offering often for your sin, give it to the priest who would burn it on the altar, say prayers, and you would watch the smoke from the sacrifice go up to heaven, symbolizing the rising of your prayer and offering to God. That's the closest anyone would, would expect or, or likely, frankly, even want Psalm 8, which we read earlier, verse 1, really expresses the sentiment of who God is in the Old Testament understanding. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. You made your glory higher than the heaven. But then when we get to the Old Testament, we start to see the possibility of something new. We talked about it last week, the, the, the The prophet said that one day God would pour out God's spirit on all flesh, that that's something that's coming. And and talk about a Messiah, that there is going to be someone God will send. And Isaiah even says that the one that God will send will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Ponder that for a moment. The primary image of God in the Old Testament is God way above us, somewhere in heaven, but that God will reveal God's self to us as Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus Christ, God transitioned from being a distant, unreachable, unknowable God to being one of us, with us. Some actually got to walk side by side with him, see his face, hear his voice, feel his touch. Now we know he continued to pray to, to God the Father, and so somehow in Jesus, God remained both transcendent, high above and imminent, close with us. Scripture makes these wild claims. John fourteen nine, Jesus says, whoever has seen me, Has seen the Father. Paul writes in Colossians 1 15 through 16, the Son is the image image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation, because all things were created by him, both in heavens and on the earth. All things were created through him and for him. You see, there's this radical shift. Is God to be feared? Is God staying away from us? Is God in hiding from us? Is God unapproachable? Jesus changes everything. Now, He's come to us. He's not hiding from us. He's come to find us. He's not unapproachable. He has approached us. He's not out there somewhere. He's right here with us. John 1, 4 in the message version says, God's word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood I love that expression in Jesus God moved into the neighborhood it goes on we saw the glory with our own eyes the one of a kind glory like father like son generous inside and out true from start to finish most important God moved into the neighborhood I love that well that's not bad huh I mean, just that shift of understanding God as not far away and unapproachable, but close and has pursued us by, by coming near us. That's a pretty good shift. But Jesus doesn't start, stop there. If you think that's a radical evolution in the, in, in the, the revolution, revelation of God, wait for this. Jesus told the disciples, it's actually better that I leave you. On the night before his death, Jesus told them, it's actually to your advantage that I die and go away. That way I can send the Spirit to you. John sixteen seven. I read it earlier. I assure you that it is better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion, who is the Holy Spirit, won't come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Old Testament, God is way out there somewhere, God above us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, I got something better than that. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who is God in you. Emmanuel is God with you. Holy Spirit is God in you. That's the ultimate goal, friends, of every Christian life, to become containers of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week at Pentecost, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First First Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are God's temple and God lives in in you God's spirit lives in you. Or last week I referenced 2 Corinthians where Paul says, "Don't you know that we are jars of clay but filled with incredible treasure." Now, now here's where I might get real heretical, so just follow me here, will you? Okay? Just follow. If we understand God, the God of scripture correctly that God is one, And if that one God of the Bible is the creator and the sustainer of the entire created cosmos, and if that God is a trinity, one God in three persons, and if the New Testament is correct, that God's spirit lives inside you and me, then that must mean that Jesus also lives inside of you and me. Paul said that, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That must mean also that the Father, the creator of the universe, also lives where? In me. That if this is true, God is no longer a distant God, that God is an, an intimate, personal, connected, deep within kind of God. And if, now follow this, if the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity is three in one, and if the three in one lives in me, then doesn't that mean that somehow I'm one with the three in one? That if Genesis one is correct and says that I'm made in the image and likeness of God and God is three in one, that somehow I must bear that image of myself? which means I must be relational just in the way God is relational, three persons in one. And if I am one with the three in one living in me and you are one with the three in one living in you, doesn't that somehow make us one with each other? And if God is one and we are one with God and one with each other, don't the commands to love each other make a whole lot more sense? What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as what? Right? Why would that make any sense unless that there's a connection to God in me and God in you? Why else would the Bible talk so much about forgiving each other and being patient with each other and reconciling with each other? did you get all that no you didn't it's a mystery and maybe it's heresy and maybe it's not but there's this old Barbara Mandrell country song says if loving you is wrong I don't want to be right well if my heretical ideas about the trinity are wrong well then don't correct me I want to be right I don't want to be right now why does any of this matter because saying God is Trinity is not just some academic, irrelevant, intellectual, esoteric concept about God. Saying that God is Trinity moves the location of God from out there somewhere at the edge of the universe that I may never be able to find to right here. That the journey to God isn't a mystery, the journey is within. The Trinity, if this is true, says, That the journey to God is a journey within and a journey to you and to you and to you. That maybe God is as close as the air we breathe and the persons that we're surrounded by. Raniero Cantalamesa says, we cannot wrap our minds around the ocean, but we can enter in. We cannot, cannot encompass the mystery of the Trinity with our minds, but we can enter in. Friends, that's the invitation. The Trinity is not just some theological idea that we're supposed to ascribe to. Saying God is Trinity is an invitation. It's a relational invitation to dive into the mystery of God that lives inside of me and you to become one with the one who is three in one in you and me. Let's pray. So God, for whatever of that is error, just block it out of our minds. But Lord, if there's any truth that you're accessible to us, that you live in us because you are Three and one. Well, Lord, help us enter that mystery. Help us wrap our arms as much as we can about that mystery. Help us to go swimming in that mystery. Would you, in some way, awaken us to your presence within us? Would you, in some way, enliven our awareness of your presence in each other? In Jesus' name we pray.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.